is our fifth Sunday of Lent. And as such, we this morning find ourselves in this sermon series, Words from the Cross, these weekly examinations of these words that Jesus spoke in those six hours of his crucifixion outside Jerusalem. We find ourselves at the fifth word that Jesus speaks, and the, the most concise, and, and in some ways, at least at a surface, um, simplest, and, and maybe at some level, seemingly the most, or the least significant of the words that, that he speaks, which we'll get to in just a moment. But, but for me, that's, that's how these words kind of sound. Um, compared to some of the other things, they don't seem near as, as deep and, and as, as significant. In fact, when I first started thinking about the series, these, this was the week I thought, well, this is going to be the hardest to pull a sermon out of. Um, I should know better. Um, but, but these words in the midst and really kind of coming to the, to the end of his time on the cross. And so let's, let's jump right in. It's only two verses. John chapter 19, verses uh, 28 and 29. These are the fifth words that Jesus speaks. John writes that later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us to, to kind of hear the, the depth of these words, to hear the significance of these words as with all the words that you speak on the cross, all the words you speak to us. And Lord, may these moments of worship, these moments of, of conversation, of exploration, be inspired by your Holy Spirit. May they be powerful for us in our walk with Christ. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am thirsty, or I thirst, depending on, on which translation you read from. The most easily identifiable phrase for us, because because we all know what it's like to, to be thirsty. And we're going to talk about that kind of in a moment. But, but we certainly understand this, this phrase of, of Jesus. And, and like I said, it, at some level, it's, it's a little perplexing that it's included here. Because it doesn't seem near as significant as the other things that Jesus says. And I say included because when we read Scripture... We always understand that, that the Gospels do not tell us every experience that Jesus had. They don't, they don't share every experience, everything that, that he said, every, every moment that he had. Three years of, of their life with him would be much more extensive if they tried to do a day-by-day, word-by-word, event-by-event chronicling of his life. But rather in the oral tradition, which is how the Gospels first survived, there was part, they were, the stories were told um, community of faith to community of faith, believer to believer, before many years after the life of Jesus when they were written down. What the, what the 
writers and, and what the followers of Jesus wanted to do is they wanted to communicate the things that were most significant, most important, that we needed to know that would form us as followers of Jesus. And so I share that with you because when we read any part of Scripture, and this goes from Genesis to Revelation, it's always a good question to ask yourself, why was this story remembered? Why did this part of the, the life of Jesus get remembered so significantly? And so when we get to the, to, to the cross, one of my curiosities, we don't know, is were there, were there other things that Jesus said that, that didn't get recorded? And it's very possible that there were, that the gospel writers wanted to give us the most significant and profound things that he said from the cross. I don't know that to be true. Obviously, none of us do. But that's speculation. And, and the reason I share all of that is because when I get to these three words, I am thirsty, when compared to, Father, forgive them, and you will be with me in paradise, and Mother, behold your son, and, and these other things that Jesus said, I think, well, gosh, why, why I am thirsty? That's uh, kind of an obvious thing. Until we begin to, to mine a little deeper. Until we begin to kind of wrestle with um, context and, and opportunity, invitation. Now, context. We'll start with that. John begins his gospel with the familiar words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We talked about this a few times over the course of this series. And, and Word being Jesus. And then in verse 14, that, that famous line, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we understand that. That speaks to the incarnation, that, that God came in human form. But, but John wants to really make this point stick in, in his Gospels. Because the Gospel was written at a time, following the life of Jesus, when a, a teaching known as Gnosticism was on the rise and, and had traction. Uh, Gnosticism... To, to oversimplify it, but it was basically a belief that everything that was material, that was physical, was evil. Spiritual was good, physical was evil. Therefore, God was spirit. God could not be physical because to be physical would be to be contaminated. And within this, this secret knowledge, which is what Gnosticism refers to, was, was a, a more applicable teaching to, about Christ uh, called docetism. And docetism taught that Jesus was spirit, not human, not flesh. That Jesus was like a phantom. Because if God is good, and spirit is good, and flesh is evil, and Jesus is God, then Jesus could not have been flesh and blood. So the cross itself, what we see is a, uh, an appearance of crucifixion, uh, a symbolic crucifixion, but that Jesus, being spirit, was never really crucified in a way that he felt any pain that he would have suffered in any way because God can't suffer. And so when you understand that, um, what, what became heresy in the church, 
When you understand that the prevalence of this teaching at the time, you know, following the life of Jesus and when these Gospels were written, all of our Gospels, you understand a little more of the significance of John's words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And so when we get to the end of Jesus' life, and He is on the cross, and He cries out, I am thirsty, John wants to make it very clear Jesus was suffering in human form coming to carry the sins of the world to redeem humanity Jesus went to the depth and the worst of the human experience experiences that we are familiar with maybe not to this extreme but Jesus suffered Jesus felt pain Jesus felt the weight of abandonment that we talked about last week Jesus felt the weight of betrayal because he was fully human and so in this moment he makes a human cry I am thirsty and we all know what it's like to be thirsty because it's part of the human condition. It's part of the human experience. The difference is probably none of us know what it was like to be the thirsty to the extreme that Jesus was. Jesus on the cross is suffering extreme dehydration. When Jesus cries out for thirsty, it is an agonizing cry for water. Uh, most of us know what it's like to be thirsty from, from exercise for a few hours, being out in the sun, uh, working in the yard, gardening, whatever it is that you do when you, you sweat and you get hot, and we know what it's like to feel thirst. But, but this is different. This is a thirst that leads to the symptoms of, of dehydration that will ultimately lead to death. Now, we only know that the last time the Gospels record that Jesus took liquid was at the Last Supper when he held up the cup. After that, we don't know the details of the story. And it's always dangerous. And where the Scriptures are silent, sometimes we need to let the Scriptures be silent. We always should be very, very careful about interjecting and speculating um, about where Scripture does not speak. So with that in mind, let me interject and speculate um, here that, that it's very probable that Jesus had not had any liquids after that supper all through the night. He's beaten then in the morning. He's flogged. He's forced to carry his cross to Golgotha. Now he is on the cross suffering dehydration, which leads to, to agonizing headaches, migraines. Those of you that suffer from migraines know how debilitating that can be, which causes the tongue to swell and, and become white, which causes seizures and confusion. This is what Jesus is, is going through. And in the midst of that, he makes this human cry, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And they offer him wine vinegar, which he takes. There's a documentary a few years ago called um, Food Incorporated or Food Inc. And um, in it, there's a heart-wrenching story of a mother by the name of um, Barb Kowalczyk. Her son, Kevin, at age two and a half, ate a, a bad hamburger and got E. coli. And 
he would eventually pass away. When he was in the hospital, he couldn't, and I don't, not being in the medical profession, they, they couldn't give him water, couldn't drink. They wasn't allowed to have it. And so she recounts in agonizing details his pleading for water, his desperation to have something to drink. And all they could give him was a sponge dipped in some water for him to suck on. And she said at one point his agony was so bad that he bit the sponge off because he wanted the water so desperately. And, and I think about that image of, of Jesus as he is in these agonizing moments of human suffering and they offer this wine vinegar just wanting to bite the end of the hyssop to take in whatever liquids that he can get. And the fact that they offer him wine vinegar is the, is the bitter joke of this. Is, is the, because wine vinegar is... Is the, is, is the worst of the wine. It's the last press. It's junk. It's junk. And, and, and you've got to connect this. And I believe John, the gospel writer, wanted to connect this. Remember in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle in Cana, in the wedding banquet in Cana of Galilee. What does Jesus do? He turns water to wine. But not just wine, remember? The best wine. He offers the best and in his greatest moment of need, he is given the very worst. He is given the worst. When he needed was water. What he gets is wine vinegar. And Jesus, the one who is associated with, with water. I mean, the scriptures make the connection. And John makes that connection throughout. The Old Testament does as well. But, but Jesus, water to wine and in. John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter with a woman at the well. And he offers her living water. Remember, he says it is, a, it is water that will come from a spring that will well up to eternal life. And, and in John chapter 6, Jesus says, whoever drinks from this water will never thirst. Jesus, who um, is as part of the, the deity, part of the Godhead, in Genesis chapter 1, creates water, moves over the water. Jesus, who then in, in the Gospels would calm water, the seas and the rains, who turns it to wine, who walks on water, who is so connected to water, who is, seems to be surrounded by water, both the, the image and the physical reality throughout his life and his ministry. Now he just needs a drink and he can't get it can't get it and it speaks to his suffering it speaks to how far he was willing to go to offer his life for us and his willingness to be fully human so that we could be fully redeemed in our humanity so that is what's going on partly but I also wonder this I wonder if Jesus crying out for thirst is our invitation to recognize our own thirst. We know that God thirsts for us. 
That, that God thirsts for a relationship with us. That God thirsts and Jesus thirsted for people to know God's love. For people to know the redemption that he was offering. The grace and the salvation that he came to give. There was a thirst. There was a hunger. There was a, 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 a desire for, for people to experience that. And, and so I wonder if there's just a spiritual depth depth. To, to I thirst, and, and that not only in recognizing God's thirst for us and Christ's thirst, both physically and spiritually, but that we're invited to recognize our own thirst. To recognize and to ask ourselves, what do we thirst for? And where do we find our own satisfaction? Because the reality is, uh, there is a... Um, a psychological thing that happens when we see people drinking. Something that happens that kind of starts to, to subconsciously happen with, within us. I, I thought about this this morning. Let's give this a try. I thought this might be fun. Oh, I'm going to make sure I'm turned on here. Yep. Test, test. Okay. Let's, let's do this. Just ask yourself. What do you feel? Now, what did you just say? Can I have some? Anybody a little more thirsty right now? That's what movie theaters do to you. Ever notice that? One of those first ads is that kind of a thing. We sometimes see, because when we, we see thirst or, or something that connects us with that, we recognize it within ourselves. Maybe. That's what Jesus wants to happen. Jesus is, is conscious and he's alert through the entire time of his crucifixion. He's consciously making connections to, to scriptures. In fact, when they offer him the, the, the wine vinegar, it's a fulfillment of Psalm 69. I mean, over and over, the, the scriptures are being fulfilled. Jesus wants to make a point and wants to, to drive home this, this emphasis that, that, that I am the fulfillment of, of scriptures and the fulfillment of promise and John, Jesus keeps his faculties. In fact, here's an interesting contrast in both Matthew and Mark. It tells us that early in the crucifixion, Jesus was offered liquid as well. And, and it was gall. It was wine mixed with gall, or Mark says with myrrh. And Jesus doesn't take that. And it's interesting. So what's the difference? Why does Jesus take the, um, the, the wine vinegar here and he... he, he refused the, the wine mixed with, with gall or with uh, myrrh earlier in his crucifixion. Well, that was, um, it was an anesthetic is what it was offered. Gall and, and myrrh, uh, sometimes it was a poison. It could be done with, historians speculate as to whether it was meant to hasten death, but at the very least, there was some thought that that, that kind of a, a, a wine mixture 
would deaden the senses a little bit, both mentally and physically. And Jesus refuses it. He will not take it. Because even in this moment, even in these hours of suffering, he's very conscious of who he is and and the words that he speaks and the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation that that he brings. And so he he refuses that, but, but here he doesn't. Because his thirst is to remind us of, of our thirst. What do you thirst for? What is it that you seek and, and desire within, within your heart? What is it you want to know? There's a story told of a, of a master and a student. The student comes to the master one day and says, Master, I want to, to find God. And so he says, Okay, in a little while, I want you to follow me down to the river. So the, uh, the student does. The master walks to the river. The student follows him. And uh, the master wades into the river, and the student wades into the river. So his teacher looks at him and says, I want you to go under the water. And so the student raises his hand in this very spiritual act, and he drops himself below the water. And when he does, the master grabs him by the shoulders and the head, and holds him down, putting all his weight on him so he can't get out of the water. And he begins to do what any of us would do. He begins to thrash. He begins to fight. He begins to try to break free so that he can get air. Finally, at the last minute, the master lets go, and he jumps, he rises out of the water, and the student's gasping for breath. And he's trying to catch his faculty. He's trying to make sense of what's going on. And his master looks at him and says, When you desire to know God as desperately as you desired to have air, you will find God. You will find God. What are we desperate to know? What are we we thirsty for? Purpose. Significance. Value. Maybe it's thirsty for freedom from our addiction or, or, or chains of, of memories that have held us down. What are you thirsty for? The question is, are you finding it in places that don't really meet the need? Jesus needed water. What he got was wine vinegar. It didn't satisfy. It wasn't going to satisfy. So often for us, what we do is, is we, hung, we thirst for God, and we, but we look in places and we seek to find it in places that don't satisfy, that don't bring fulfillment and purpose and meaning. Jesus invites us to know living water. Jesus invites us to, to, to acknowledge our thirst and to find a source of refreshment that never runs dry. Jesus invites us to partake of that which he suffered and died to give to us. His suffering was real. His thirst was real. It was both physical and was spiritual. But in what he did, he gives us an invitation to re- into a relationship that means we don't have to be thirsty anymore. We can know his love, know his strength, know his presence both now and forever. Brothers and sisters, we know why Jesus was thirsty. Why are you? Why are you? And where do you go to find the refreshment that Christ desperately wants to offer? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, that we would recognize our own need, recognize our own thirst, 
and in recognizing what you have done for us and the gift that you've given in Christ that we would find our satisfaction in you. Allow your love to be the living well, the living water that rises and gives us life. Lord, hear our prayer. Meet us in our greatest place of need and satisfy us as only you can. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen.